You are now listening to Enter VR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I am Chris Miranda, your host, and on today's show, I am speaking to Justin Morvitz, the creator of Proton Pulse and Zero Transform. Uh, Justin, thanks for much. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, not a problem. Nice being here. So, uh, Justin, um, give me the rundown. What is what is Proton Pulse? What is Zero Transform? Uh, yeah, let's start off with that. Well, let's start with Proton Pulse. So VR for me, there was this, this article back in the early 1990s that said VR is coming, virtual reality is coming. And it really struck a chord with me. So I, I kept up to date. I, I kept looking for the day it would actually come. And uh, more or less the term virtual reality kind of diluted a bit. So people were using it for just saying there's 3D renderings whatsoever. And it bothered me, but finally VR is here. And so Proton Pulse is a love letter back to that initial spark, back to the early 1990s. What it is is a 3D breakout game where you use head tracking control to move the paddle around. There's no keyboard, no mouse input. It's just all done with head tracking. I wanted to keep it as straightforward as humanly possible. And so the game's music is based off the old chiptune style, I've got some terrific artists, Jake Kaufman and Danimal Cannon, Dan Behrens, who helped me flush out the game. And uh, I'm happy to say that even though the initial Kickstarter was refunded to everybody, uh, the project itself did not die. And so hopefully there will be more announcements on that soon. As far as Zero Transform goes, that is an LLC I just started for creating virtual reality content, mostly focused on games, but also consulting and any side contract work that other people may need. Oh, very cool. So so Proton Pulse is a game. Zero Transform is a, a company entity that is a, a content maker for VR. And you I, you know, I got to try out this this game, this demo that you were showing off at the GDC VR mixer. What was that? Was that was that a, a is that something that is going to be that is going to be seen the light of day eventually? Yes, very soon. Um, right now, there's a little bit of uh, a timing issue. If Basically, what's going on is I have to wait for some ink to dry before I can start publicly talking about that game to any large extent. Hmm. But uh, I, I'm very forward to bringing it out. I, I'm assuming you're talking about Project Wormhole with the uh, flying character through yes. the atmosphere. Yeah, okay, yes. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to bringing that out to the to the public so that would be yeah that because that was one of those uh that was one of the few experiences that i felt completely zero um simulation sickness and i'm not sure if it's because of the design i'm not i'm not sure because of it's it's taken up in space um but it's done really well and i enjoyed it a lot a lot a lot um so that's gonna become a full featured game right oh absolutely what do you think it's gonna you know once the full package is out what it what what should people expect out of project wormhole well project wormhole is a, a rail shooter at heart 
And when you boil down a rail shooter, it's kind of a long cinematic event with timed enemies coming in and such. I want to make sure that it's a celebration of VR control. And so while every single level will have the same basic movement, there will be a slight variant on how to approach various problems that VR brings. So the game will be incredibly diverse level to level, but uh, the, the heart of it is to really explore how to tackle aiming, movement, and stuff like that without introducing any type of motion sickness. There was some secret sauce in the uh, design of that demo to ensure that all movements from the camera were completely controlled by the player itself. So, uh, yeah, it's one of those things I strive to make sure I get right is not to make my uh, the gamers sick. So, Do you have any estimations as to when people might be able to get their hands on a demo? So I'm, I'm working nonstop to make that a reality. What you saw there was an early prototype. I kid you not, that prototype was made start to finish in three weeks. That's awesome. Uh, all of the voice acting, all of the music. I, I had some help with the voice acting and music and such, but uh, the, the gameplay and all of that stuff, that was, and the art, all of that was start to finish three weeks. And because of, it was because of that time constraint, it wasn't exactly where I really wanted to convey it. A lot of the enemies were static and things were not really moving on screen other than in their place, so they would rotate a little bit. And so there was some movement towards the end, but the, the real feeling in, of the project wasn't wasn't completely there yet. So I'm hoping to really flush that out here real soon so I can get out a demo. What is your production process like? Are you more of a, a jammer, like you go for three days straight, just straight up going at it, or, or are you more of a, a more segmented, uh, relaxed approach when you when you uh, try to create stuff? What is what what do you what does it look like? No, I'm not entirely sure I fall in either of those categories because mm. uh, I've been working in the game industry for about ten years now, and one of the things I've learned is to have the jamming like craziness but for long periods of time and so i mean i'm working on this thing constantly but i'm certainly not taking breaks or getting distracted or anything like that so it's it's really a full-time position for me at this point how do you keep from getting distracted do you have any tips any uh any oh, advice on that that's really easy i love vr <laughs> but i want to do i smile every time i put a head mounted display on so it for it's just a natural thing Awesome. That's really cool. And so what is it that fundamentally attracts you to, to VR? What is it about this medium that you're so passionate about? The immersion, the, the physical sense that there is something there. When I put on the Oculus Rift back last April when I first got mine, uh, it's, what, it's been a little over a year now. Mm -hmm. So there was a true sense of a first-person perspective. I've always been a fan of 3D technology, but it was never from the point of view of, of me. It was always like sitting in a, in a seat in a theater and there's a 3D display up ahead. And so being to have something you create almost tangible uh, just boggles my mind. And then you can take it a step forward and like, well, let's, let's forget all of the rules of the world. Let's forget gravity. Let's forget that we need to stay here in this atmosphere no, let, let's have a desk sitting on the rings of Saturn while we study or whatever. It, 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 you, you can go nuts. And so I'm excited to see where VR is going to go. 
do you have any uh, vision or guesses or guesstimations as to where VR might end up five years, ten years from now? Ah, uh, let's see. Lighter, faster, more portable, and cheaper, which is all good things. That means it it took off. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago these things were thousands upon thousands of dollars for something not as good, not as light. Thank goodness for cell phone technology to really push this stuff forward. Mm -hmm. But now that it's becoming a business model of itself, it'll. I, I imagine stuff like this will become more widely adopted. You'll see at first gaming and simulation, uh, even some medical simula uh, stuff and scientific and architectural. But down the road, you might get something that you could see online that's just an ad for a product. That's when it really starts to become mainstream and everywhere, is that uh, companies see it as a way to distribute uh, advertisements and directed stuff. So in a way, we might see a return of a variant of VRML, if anybody remembers that format. But uh, we're not quite there yet. There's still a lot of hurdles as far as uh, end-user usability. There's you got to set up a second monitor and various other things before you can actually get going in it. And so once that's all smoothed out, uh, in about five years, I could see it becoming a lot more uh, mainstream and through various uh, different applications. What do you think are the potential obstacles for this medium to become mainstream? Right now, it has to be something you can put on and get going. Mm -hmm. So it has to be fast. Let's take the Oculus DK1, for instance. If I wanted to show this to my friend, I'm wearing prescription glasses. So first thing I need to gauge is what lens you need. So I got to pull out the lens, make sure it's upside down not to get any dust in there. Pop in the lens, is this good? Yes, no. Move on from there. Plug it in, set up a second monitor, tell it to clone to the main, start the app. Tell the person while he's wearing the headset, he or she, uh, to keep their eyes closed, and then the app starts. And then we calibrate the thing. So there's all of these little things before you can even get started that really needs to be smoothed out. Second is wire length and power consumption. So there are some mods you can do for the Oculus so you're just powered via USB and HDMI. It would be nice if it was just one cable or even completely wireless. We're not there yet for wireless due to latency and resolution issues. But uh, I'm ho hoping it'll eventually get down that road. And really, there needs to be more compelling stuff. So we're at the very birth of content for this stuff. There, there's a lot of demonstrations and people really exploring what they can and can't do, basically forming the rules of what makes good VR great. And so once that becomes a little more solidified, uh, things will move a lot forward a lot quicker, I believe. Are you at all worried that perhaps... Uh, uh, producers, hardware producers that are trying to rush to market might uh, give off a bad impression for the rest of the industry. For example, uh, you know, I'm not saying Ant VR is bad, but uh, but if they come out with a product that that underdelivers, or or Samsung, or Morpheus, or even Oculus, whoever does it, like, are you worried that if one fails, it might pull down the rest of them with him? Well, the great thing about VR right now is that there are a lot of people attempting to enter the space in one form or another. And so eventually one of those darts will hit the goal, I hope. Worst case scenario, though, is I've got VR for me and I'm perfectly happy with that. Mm -hmm. I'll just keep making my own stuff. And so what's your strategy to stay successful as an indie developer through this, you know, 
uh, through this race, this competition that is happening amongst the the hardware producers. Uh, are you gonna? I, I I figured. I'm assuming. I I am. And correct me if I'm wrong. That you are going to remain hardware agnostic. Uh, if uh, if if I can manage that, yes. Mm -hmm. And so that really depends on uh, negotiations and and communication and and networking in general. It also depends on what platform models you can adhere to. So some of them have exclusivity requirements and others uh, work on completely different hardware setups. So it's one of those things where you have to balance time, money, and accessibility to the public. Hmm. So uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah, I don't really have – as far as indie success goes, I'm all ears for that. Yes. As I said, stated at SVVR, uh, I'm very new to this. I have, I have two titles. One that's I'm comfortable saying is done, and the other one that is well on its way uh, in production. So, yeah, right now my business model is to make kick-ass content as best as I can. Nice. And what do you think your the future of monetizing will look like eventually do you do you think it's going to be through steam through oculus share through your own store i don't really have a good answer for that i mean at first for the pc side i thought steam was the way to go now the reason why i'm a little hesitant on that is while they have a department opening up for vr in the steam store basically all of the guys who ran that stuff are with oculus now and so it's one of those things where you really got to balance because as far as I can tell from my seat, PC VR is going to be handled pretty much exclusively on uh, Oculus VR. There's going to be a couple of others, but Oculus is the, is the one moving all of this forward as far as that goes. And so when people get that head-mounted display, the, first, the, the next natural step is to go to their platform where they're selling content and such. So I think Oculus has a real good opportunity and opening up their own storefront for VR content. As far as hosting it myself, I don't. I, I don't think I would have the traffic for my site to even. I'm not uh, notch or anything like that with Minecraft. So, how about uh, what about Android? In your in your view, what do you think uh, the what do you think is the impact of of Android entering the VR space will be will be? Well, it's a good way to accelerate the the mobile hardware. And what I mean by that is every year we get a new phone. It's single core, dual core, quad core, 64 bit. And, you know, it keeps going up and up and up, but there's less and less of a reason to actually need that. And so with this now becoming more of a thing, battery efficiency, GPU power, CPU power, all of this stuff has a, a target that they must reach uh, to become successful if mobile VR is going to take off. As far as Android is right now, you can almost pull it off. You have to be really diligent as far as uh, performance and various other things that mobile hardware just can't quite handle. There's oftentimes mobile hardware will trick me into thinking that it's a lot more pow powerful than it actually is because these things are really impressive considering they didn't exist all that long ago. Yeah. Um, but that said, you can't be lazy about it either. For sure. What about uh, going back to Zero Transformer and, and Proton Pulse? In terms of gameplay design, how do you know what works and what doesn't? What does that uh, you know? Qu is it quality assurance? What does that process look like? You know, 
in terms of figuring out what works, what doesn't? Is it are you constantly looking at the people who try out your game, the, your demos at, at at meetups and stuff, or what is it? So I I carry around a book. It's called the Book of Bad Ideas, and at, at, all, at any given point of the day, I, I'm thinking about how to make the experience for the user as intuitive and non-issue as possible. And so when it came to PC VR, there's no unified control other than maybe a keyboard and mouse. And when you have that thing on your head, you can't really tell what's what. So at first I would map buttons to the corner so you could at least find them pretty easily. But even then, it was still a little bit fishy. So I spend most of my time figuring out how to navigate, how to move, how to interact with nothing but your head, with with just head tracking alone. Mm -hmm. uh, once I f see, once I know that's viable or not, I move on to the next step on on ex uh, actually executing that. So I, I would create a quick prototype, and that's when scale comes in because it must feel physical. The depth must be absolute. And so you can make something that's real, real world scale, but with things so distant as they often are in gaming, uh, you, you lose that sense of depth pretty quick. So there's a lot of fine tuning on getting that, that sense of depth, that feeling in physical uh, space uh, set up. So, um, but yeah, most of it's on control and scale. And uh, if, if I can't get it with head tracking, I usually limit to one or two buttons at most. Well, yeah, interesting. No, it's and it seems like it works pretty well uh, in terms of how you interact with the game. Do you feel like it's limiting though? Do you feel like you you you'd wish to have more buttons or more things to to play with? Not yet. So I mean, I love working under restrictions. When I make music on my own, I'm using old Commodore, Nintendo, and and Game Boy hardware. They've only got a few channels each to make any sounds at all, and I find that when you have these these limitations, you pay much more attention to the details. If I had an orchestra, I wouldn't know what to do. I couldn't I couldn't make the sound I wanted at all. It would just be an absolute mess. But having uh, the absolute focus and attention on on a smaller palette uh, really gives me a, a, some momentum. Yeah, it, no, it, it inter super interesting. What is this book of bad ideas that you have? Is this something that someone can buy off of Amazon or is this something that you yourself have been working on? No, it's this little leather-bound book that I laser-etched the word Bobby into it. So it's book of bad ideas. <laughs> and it's just something I carry around with me. It's, it's got a lot of uh, game ideas, including Proton Pulse when it was at its infancy and this next project I'm working on. But it's just going – it's one of those things where you can have something mulling around in your head for a while. But when you start writing it down or describing it to somebody else, that's when you start to see the issues. Mm -hmm. Same things with music. If you If you write something – and you think it's good, you can either, uh, I usually wait the next day, listen to it again, and if I still can't quite tell, then I let somebody else listen to it, and then it becomes really, really obvious. The art artists use this when drawing things as well. You can take a picture you drew, flip it horizontal, and then all of the mistakes you've made become instantly obvious. So it's one of those things. How do you view yourself? Do you view yourself a, as an engineer, as a developer, as an artist, as a as an, an entrepreneur? You know, do you have a, a single label? I'm sure that's a silly question to ask, but what do you what do you think is the big motivate the big word that you classify yourself under? Well, uh, as question. in my last project, uh, I wore many hats, and so now that I'm on my own, I have to wear quite a few more. Mm -hmm. I would. Um, I'm just a developer at heart. I, 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 my card says VR developer because 
you have to you have to know how to script you have to know how to get the effects and the scale and modeling on art but primarily my previous job was uh, art and animation and special effects uh-huh. and so that's why in say project wormholes prototype you saw a lot of particles flying everywhere sound effects and moving things because that's second nature to me when it comes to code generally speaking it's it takes a little longer for me to handle but it was one of those things proton pulse really helped me learn and accomplish that's awesome how long have you been doing uh special effects and animations for let's see i was the sole particle effects artist for uncharted golden abyss on the playstation vita nice i also handled about 60 percent of the uh, effects animation, so things blowing up, things falling down, stuff like that. Uh, I was the sole particle effects artist for Resistance Retribution for the PSP, and I handled quite a bit of the uh, object animation for that as well. And so I've been doing that for a while. Before that, it was mostly cinematic events and other object animation, Back going back as far as uh, Siphon Filter Dark Mirror for the PSP and PS2. What's it like working for the games industry? Oh, it's... Uh, it really depends on how you're entering and how you, you view games in general. So everybody at work can talk about video games, but not everybody there is a gamer, which was one of the big shockers when I got there. Some people absolutely love what they do and have a deep passion for it, while others, it's it's a job and they're they're really good at their job, but when they go home, they kind of unplug. I was never really able to do that. When I got home, I continued to develop uh, on just little prototypes and, and various other things. I just couldn't turn it off. And there was nothing really wrong with that. Uh, I went to college at DigiPen up in Seattle, Washington, and the thing they teach you there for two years straight when I was there was you're basically in crunch mode from the day you walk in. Most people, uh, there, were, there were quite a few people who either dropped out or decided this wasn't for them. And then when I finally got in the gaming industry, it wasn't exactly like that, but it prepped me. It taught me how to teach myself what I needed to know. So gaming industry, the, the, my favorite part about it is the seeing something evolve. So whether it be hardware or software, you, you go in with that initial idea and people are starting to work together. And you, you see these changes and various other things. And when it starts coming together at the very end, it's it's a much better result than what you went in with. So I really like that evolution. Do you go back to play the games that you've worked on later on? Yeah, and then I get pretty lazy. I don't play <laughs> games as much as I'd like. I'm usually creating content. So when somebody comes up to me, it's like, hey, have you tried my demo? I'm like, I'll grin and smile, but that's about, I don't really answer. <laughs> <laughs> What motivates you to be a VR developer? What is it inside you, deep inside? What is the thing that 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 keeps you going? Uh, well, really, it's it's the possibilities of VR that's been untapped. I mean, let's take an example here. If you wanted to make a game or an experience based off claustrophobia, it could only be done in VR. There is no other medium that can do that. That's a good point. And so right now, there's this mad push to get VR working for first-person shooters, and while that's okay. Uh, for a lot of new genres, we saw the same thing with tablets and cell phones with games back in platformer games being ported over. I'm excited to see what hasn't been discovered yet, and I want to be part of that. There's there's something about seeing a character, something you create, something you make uh, in full 3D come to life in front of you, something you can you can approach it and interact. It, 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 it's crazy to me. I, I love it. Yeah, it, it truly is something amazing and, and worth uh, beholding. 
what is it that you know you fear in terms of where this industry might go is there is that something that you ever give time to like where this you know the direction in which this industry might head into i haven't really given it that much thought honestly there's not really i haven't seen any signs of a negative uh direction mm -hmm. so it might be a little premature for me to say that uh i guess is that somebody forces their way into the industry into this genre and completely screws it up so what i'm seeing here right now from oculus and from sony is fantastic but say we got somebody from i don't know nokia or or uh, walmart who just wanted to have their own VR headset, and it's just abysmal. Allegedly. But, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and and it would ruin it for everyone. Well, it would give it a bad name, for sure. And so, it was something you had mentioned before, but it's one of those things that I'm honest, I, those were just examples out of out, out of thin air. I don't really have any worry about that. The, the top players in here seem to know what they're doing. They have a good history in marketing and and various other things, and uh, I, I believe they can pull it off. How do the people around you react when you tell them you're a VR developer, and how does the average person off the street, you, you know, react or, or yeah, to, to the things that you are doing? So it varies. When I talk to somebody and say, hey, I'm a VR developer, they sometimes I get, what's VR? And I say virtual reality. It's like, ah, is that a thing? You know, so they don't know, or they, they recall uh, years ago where it was kind of diluted, like I said earlier. Others are like, oh, you mean like the Oculus Rift? I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, wow, really? You have one of those? So there's there's people who know what's going on are genuinely excited uh, more often than not. Then when you get to the actual VR community, it's a very close, nice uh, community, I, I find. So I can talk to uh, Sean from Lunar Flight or anybody like that, and and we, we have this common ground. Uh, when I went to PAX last year, speaking of which, I was unable to get tickets today so <laughs> but uh yeah when i went to uh pax last year i went to the oculus rift booth and uh, i said i was the proton pulse guy and, and there was a few employees there that just turned around and i instantly got swarmed with the questions and stuff they instantly knew what what the game was and they had recommendation stuff and it, it was amazing because somebody else there had played something i created i had no idea who they were and uh it was surreal to me and then uh, shortly after that, I'd find videos on YouTube of other people playing it, and, and that, that, that was just nuts. Uh, so I think VR, once it gets a little more marketing push, because we're still at the very early stages, uh, people will understand when I say I'm a VR developer a little more than they do now. But the people who do know, it's, it's been uh, overwhelmingly positive. I know this question might be a bit of a, not a fish out of water, a fish out of water kind of question, but what do you think is the, what do you think will be an effective um, marketing strategy for Oculus in order to make the Rift mainstream? Let's see. That's a, well, I mean, if I had the answer for that, then I'd be working for their marketing team, <laughs> I'm sure. They really need to support content as best as they can. And what I mean by that is the first ones who push forward games on a new platform, the ones who take that risk are the indie developers. And so Sony and Oculus right now are growing. This is, this, this is as new to them as it is to us. And communication can sometimes be very, very difficult for developers and such. 
So it's one of those things where if they want to make it mainstream for everybody, they need to find as much software that highlights why this is a good thing as they can. And so I guess from my perspective, the best strategy would be to uh, to make sure to support the ones who are developing the software. In terms of in terms of populating this ecosystem with with content, how does Oculus or the community or or whoever decide uh, which games are worth showing, uh, which games are worth highlighting? How do you vet a quality title over a you know not uh, a you know an average title? Well, isn't that what? Uh... VR blogs are really good for. (laughs) So I see where you're going there. uh, (laughs) Well, first off, I I see how much they're paying attention. And uh, at least this is from my perspective. I saw this uh, flying game and it was designed to make you ill. And then I saw there was a handful of roller coaster simulations and it was designed to make you feel uncomfortable. There's, There's all these things where they're just kind of messing around and that's fine and good. But it's the ones who really give true thought to design inside and out, how you even approach the game before you open it up, uh, that really catches my interest. And then people usually react to that. So a rating system is very good on that. And uh, yeah, beyond that, I, I it's hard for me to say. What about uh, the idea? And I haven't explored this idea quite a lot yet so so you know things might change here what if what about the idea that oculus puts out a cv1 that is just amazing i'm an amazing uh headset and all of a sudden um the experiences that are quality that you know like your your project wormhole sort of experiences are 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 look just as good as Chris's Miranda shitty experiences that I, you know, made up uh, in Unreal to over two nights. Like, is, is that is that something that concerns you that all of a sudden you know you might have a really good headset uh, that will make really really good experiences such such as yours really good, and shitty experiences will look will look good but they won't play well. And is that a concern? Do you think that people might get turned off by by that? You know, in terms of figuring out what is good, what isn't. It's one of those things that we're getting with the um, Android and Apple uh, app stores right now on their mobile devices. Is that there's just so much content that it's really hard to fig, uh, filter out what's good and what's not. And the best way to do that is, from a developer point of view, do what you can to make it fantastic, make something great, make something awesome, something that you yourself would want to play. That, that's generally how I approach things. And if you if you really put your heart into it, people will start to notice, start posting things on uh, various sites and on YouTube, and, and other people will pick up on that. And so if the bad content tends to sink to the bottom over time, and uh, that's why it's so important now that more than ever to have a rating system in any online store. Is there something that you wish you would have learned? Uh, you know, is there a lesson from uh, developing in VR that you've learned now that you wish you would have had nine months ago? Oh, let's see. Yeah, yeah. To with the Oculus DK1 specifically, use that little tab on the back for your wire. Otherwise, you're going to wear that sucker out. And I've already gone through two of these things, so. <laughs> 
but as far as development goes, no, I, everything is, uh, uh, there's not something that really bugged me back then that it's this evolving process. I love the learning curve more than anything. So it's hard for me to pick out any one thing that, that, that sticks out as a problem. How, uh, how much does VR development differ from, uh, you know, legacy status quo game development in terms of, you know, how much time it takes, how much money it costs, uh, and all that good stuff. Well, I'd be happy to tell you how much money it costs as soon as I find that one out. <laughs> but uh, as far as uh, game design and time, you have to approach it uh, completely separate. So as I stated earlier, there's been quite a few attempts to just hack VR onto existing projects with some level of limited success. Um, but to, to create something from the ground up 100% intended for VR... Uh, takes a completely different mindset than if you're making a third-person uh, directed shooter experience. So it's one of those things that, I mean, generally speaking, the titles I've been working on have not been in first person for uh, a number of reasons. And it was mostly so you can get the context of the player while moving around. I like I like to see the character uh, a lot more active than if you were to use a, a joystick or whatever. And in the case of Project Wormhole, your character is flying through various asteroids and such. And the only way to really get the context of your surrounding is to see yourself uh, around those objects. So, yeah, it's really how you approach any one particular design is very much... You, you really have to think about every little piece of it uh, differently than you would if you were working on a traditional game. I mean, you, you can... You, retro platformers are... Uh, possible in VR. I have that one written down. It's just, uh, it's not the immediate thought and uh, various other, I think, honestly, space shooting games, uh, racing games with steering wheels are probably at the best spot right now, as long as there's not too much camera movement that's not controlled by the player. What about But, horror games? Horror games seem to be very prevalent right now, and so it's going to be difficult to find the one that uh, is the game to play. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's entirely uh, possible. And I mean, it, you can really connect with the player in VR space. The one problem with horror games though, is control. It can really kind of set you back. So, I mean, if, for instance, if I were to make a horror game, just, just shooting off the top of my head, I wouldn't have the player walk at all. I'd have them stuck in a electric wheelchair, and uh, you use a joystick knob just to move around. Uh, because it, it, the second I'm doing the WASD or holding a stick to move around, I, I lose a little bit of that immersion that I've worked so hard to get. And uh, hmm. horror games are certainly possible. Yeah. How do you how do you convey a story? with virtual reality it might and i asked that because my assumption is that now that vr is here um cut uh, cut scenes are out of the question because they take away from immersion um oh not at all oh okay so so how do you how do you how do you convey a, an effective story without uh losing the user's sense of presence so first rule do not remove head tracking make sure that you capture the player's eye and direct them 
uh, wherever you want them to see. So everything is obviously in first person, but uh, put everything at a comfortable distance. Make sure that you feel like you're part of what's going on, not so much an observer. And I, I can say that with a sense of uh, comfort to some degree because the two projects, including Project uh, or uh, Proton Pulse, while not released to the public, there's a whole bunch of cinematic stuff that goes on. And so it was one of the, it was my test bed for getting that to work. Before I was a particle effects animator, I was a cinematics guy for the uh, Siphon Filter series. And uh, I directed the camera work and how the characters move and where to direct the eye and all of that stuff. So I'm, I'm pulling from that experience to convey that in VR. Based on your experience in the games industry, how well uh, or ill-prepared is the games industry for the virtual reality, uh, I say, revolution that is about to happen? Do you think that the big studios are, are, are ready to pivot uh, 180 and start you know, sending developers down the in VR industry pipeline, or are they going to get caught flat-footed? What's your, what's your opinion on all this? My observation has been a little bit uh, narrow on this, but what I've seen is there are a number of uh, development studios who are waiting to see what happens. They, they don't want to see uh, something not quite make it. So there were uh, quite a few connects sold when it first came out, but it didn't necessarily take off as a gaming platform in itself. And so there's this hesitation I'm seeing from the much larger studios uh, I'm seeing some in, uh, in some other cases where there's an attempt to make an adaptation or to jerry-rig sections of a game, but not necessarily dedicated to VR. And so uh, I'm a little bit concerned about that, but there are some games where adding VR, even if it wasn't initially intended, can work, as I stated with uh, space flight sims and, and racing games. I think those would be relatively straightforward. So it's really the smaller studios who are willing to take up that risk on the indie developers um, that are, I believe, going to be moving this forward for the next couple of years. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the larger studios do. So the reason why I ask that is because in a parallel universe, and, I, and I've asked this to a few developers already, but I want to get your opinion on this. In a parallel universe where in the game, the big fish, you know, your EA, your, your Ubisoft, your... Uh, whoever decide that all right this vr industry thing this is something that we can make money on let's start putting let's start throwing let's start throwing our big ip grand theft autos your uncharted i don't know uh, whatever into vr would that would that hurt you as an indie developer uh if if that were to occur i'm, I'm assuming if, if it even were to occur it would happen next year like I wouldn't hear any. I don't think we would hear any announcements this year from any big developer. But, but let's say February 2015, EA announces that they're dedicating a whole research arm to VR development. Is that something that concerns indie developers such as yourselves? Not at all, okay. because if the bigger studios start taking off on this, it only uh, solidifies and legitimizes. It makes VR stay. When you get the really big names on it, then a lot of people will come with that. And so once they're done with their big games, they're going to want smaller titles as well. And it, it, it just makes it much more accessible for any developer to get uh, their content to, to more people. Uh, the competition as far as which game you would play, 
uh, and and mind sharing that is certainly something you have to be careful of. But it's one of those things where both indie development and AAA studios can coexist, and I think we're seeing a lot of that these days. I was very impressed with um, Sony's approach with indie development over the last couple of years. What they managed to, to turn uh, do with indie developers on Sony hardware and stuff is very very phenomenal. And Microsoft on that point as well. So it's one of those things where there's enough room for everybody in this case. I think so. I think that I think this is going to become a behemoth. Um, and you are position, positioning yourself quite well in terms of your uh your your the way you're tackling the input trouble problem in terms of like how do you in, you know what's the input uh, uh what is the input interface for virtual reality right now you're using just head tracking right so yes what what do you how will that change when dk2 is now tracking uh, positional tracking are you is are you going to adjust your game to to dk2 absolutely if you don't do positional tracking and the player expects it, you will get nauseous. So what? So, what would the game? Would that change the gameplay uh, elements when I when when you have uh, you know now you have positional tracking? How how would that change my experience uh, on Project Wormhole or Proton Pulse, for example? Well, there is a way, and I've done some samples on this to kind of bring rotational head tracking games into a positional uh, setup for games that not that are not necessarily designed for it. In the case of Proton Pulse, uh, moving your head side to side would be very beneficial. It's just moving forward or back, back. And so my initial plan is just to give people a different sense of uh, a different view of the, the platform they're playing in, but uh, not necessarily uh, adjust the gameplay too much. Uh, far, I, I'm looking forward to making some content that are specifically uh, designed for positional as well. As far as input control, one of the reasons why I'm so adamant about keeping it as simple as possible is that there is no unified input. Yeah. I mean, I saw lots of vendors at SVVR and uh, trying to to support VR controls, but none of them none of them really seem widely commercial of commercially available uh the leap motion as far as i can tell is the closest one there you can go to best buy and you can pick one up right now and they've been doing amazing things over the last week uh, or so getting their uh new sdk out there for developers to, to to really regain some of that mind share that they had so kudos to them but as far as say like the razor hydra it's good luck finding one you know it's just it's just as a developer, it's kind of hard to support something that's probably not there when the player plays it. Uh, that's one of the things that I find really encouraging about the Morpheus is that uh, input is guaranteed. And so it's one of those things that, if thinking about it, saying it out loud, Oculus is probably going to have to ship some kind of input of their own to go with their final version, just to kind of mitigate this. I'm with you on that. I, I, I feel like... I feel the same way. I think that Oculus... Uh, I feel like the uh, the peripherals, the third-party peripherals, as, as we speak, are not market-ready. Um, and I don't know if Oculus has something cooking up in the works, but it would, ben it would only benefit them if they made 
VR that much more seamless, where people don't have to worry about like where the fuck is my keyboard? Oh shit! I you know I dropped my mouse or, you know you know you know what I'm saying? Like I feel like an, it it needs to be just as seamless as the Morpheus move input. Um, let me let me get your opinion on what is your pie in the sky dream for what is the ultimate input device? What do you think is the ultimate thing that we will uh, everyone will just settle down on? Let's see. That's that's a curious question because every single input device has uh, pros and cons, and then a, as a designer, you have to completely reapproach or change your approach on any given uh, game idea. Uh, I really do like where a lot of hand tracking is coming. If there wasn't any occlusion issues with the leap motion or field of view issues, that would be pretty great. Um, Move has it pretty close right now. It's positional and is it is really nice. And having physical buttons are is really nice. You, you just you just use it. So I, I can't really say exactly what it would be, but it would have to have absolute um, precision. I want something with the hand that I can move anywhere, not have to calibrate it, and it'll just work. I'm not going to get any false glitches or. Uh, uh, had uh, issues with finger tracking or anything like that so nobody's been able to get that uh cheap wireless and and and, and guaranteed to work every time not yet speaking of find the sky what in, in on that same sort of note what do you think uh, or do you have a wish list of of features that you would love to see consumer version one come out out of the box with well if it was pie in the sky, this is probably consumer version two. Um, amazing wireless video streaming technology. I'm not going to expect that though. So let's. I'm going to take my pie and put it a little more in the realistic bin. That would be amazing though. Just just for a second there, like that would be fucking awesome. <laughs> it needs video pass through, and what I mean by that is no more second monitor bananas, no cloning or any of that stuff. You 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 plug it in and then you pass it through to your other monitor, and that way. You don't have to do any of that. You also need a software development kit that lets you detect which display has the Oculus if you're not using a pass-through. So oh, Oculus is on uh, video output three. So the game will now run on that one. And you, you just really need to get rid of all of that, that stuff up front. Uh, they need to keep the price low. So the lower the better. The, the more content, the better. Uh, yeah, and DK1, or uh, CV1, I should say, should uh, not so much focus on the VR, but how you control the environment while in VR. So like I said, bring uh, a controller with it. Yeah. What about a, a, an inward-facing camera or uh, stereoscopic uh, forward-facing cameras? Are you into cameras at all? So I've done some work with augmented reality and various other things, and I, I do use a Google Glass as well. And there's just so many false positives, so many latency issues, so much grain and uncertain circumstances that, and it's very, very computationally intensive that uh, getting thing, anything up to scale is kind of difficult. However, uh, I've been considering a a simulation of a horror experience from an out-of-body situation and so if you recall like the old resident evil games was a distant camera view that was fixed mm -hmm. and so if you had a fixed camera 
perspective in your own room, and it could tell where the floor was, where the, the walls were. Then you could augment something all day long, a zombie or whatever, and you would see yourself in a third person, uh, not necessarily in first. And so it would be kind of an out-of-body experience where you're observing yourself interacting with something that's not physically there, but from what you can see is. Yeah. I totally dig that. That would be amazing. And then you'd be like shotgunning zombies that are trying to reach, trying to eat your, the brain of your real self or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but that would be amazing. And how far do you think we, we are away from being from having something like that? Is that like... Well, technically, that should be possible now. I mean, even on the PlayStation, say, the, the Morpheus, it comes with a stereo camera. That's the color on both sides at the moment. So... Uh, you, you just need somebody on the, the development side to just throw those things together, I guess. So you tried Morpheus and Oculus DK2 by now, right? Yes. What, what, are, what are your impressions on, on both? So the DK2 has an amazing screen, very low latency, very clean. And I had some text on the screen, and I moved my head left and right, and I was still able to read the text uh, as everything was in motion. So I found that very impressive. Um positional was nice and smooth as well the uh the morpheus though i gotta tell you really impressed me at svvr and i had seen it at gdc but i didn't actually go up to it but at svvr uh it's, it's my natural thing to when i'm about to put on a head-mounted display to take off my glasses and they're like no 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 you can keep those on and so i kept them on it just fit the lenses adjusted themselves there was no nothing there to to fix that the, the the image was nice and clean and bright, and they gave me two move controllers, and it was instantly obvious what I could do. I had my hands on the screen. I had swords at either side, so I picked them up and messed with them, and it was it was absolute tracking uh, with the hands and everything. So I, I looked at the sword up close all the way down to the blade, and it, and it was natural. And so the, the head-mounted display on the Morpheus might be on a technical side oh i'm sorry on the oculus might be technically higher as far as screen resolution latency and such goes but the whole package uh right now i'm leaning a little morpheus on this one and one of the other things i really did like about that is it took one of the images and and threw an external box undistorted the thing and stuck it on a screen for other people to observe so you're not so isolated playing a game if somebody else wants to watch what you're doing yeah, in terms of price, I wonder how uh, how Sony's going to manage the the price with Morpheus, and I I, I take it there's going to be an obvious bundle with PS4 and Move, and you know I just it, that, that's another thing that I think that we are sort of uh, how do you say overlooking is the fact that when Morpheus comes out, um, the assumption is it's going to come out with a bund bundled up with PS4 and move and people just take the you know take it out you know it's just out of the box experience plug and play but Oculus on the other hand as it stands it's a it's a headset for the technologically enabled if you see what I'm saying like you have to pick the right PC you have to find the right controller uh, and then you know this is sort of unfair but they still don't have a store but uh, I'm sure they will have that figured out by release yeah, sure even, even still the last two points still sort of stand where I still need to find a, a PC powerful enough to run the thing um, and, and and that is, I think, an accessibility issue that Oculus is going to have to face. 
uh, unless they use or they pair up with Valve and bundle it up with a Steam box. Is that even a possibility at this point? Well, Steam boxes are designed to be um, small, cheap, accessible. And so, I mean, it's kind of like a console in this case. The PlayStation 4 is, uh, uh, even by Palmer's words, not, not nearly powerful enough for 60 frames a second, 1080p VR experience. However, as a designer, knowing exactly what the limitations are, I can work with those limitations and get content that will function as intended. Uh, with PC, it's it's just it's it's a variable, and so it's one of those things. I, I you, you saw a wormhole in Proton Pulse. The, the secret sauce in that is uh, they both run on my cell phone at 60 frames a second. Whoa! In 3D, so. I, I've been designing things for mobile hardware for a long time, and I just keep that mentality uh, for bigger games as well to keep things running as smooth as possible because in VR it's a necessity. But that's not always the case uh, with other people. Now, here's the thing about uh, profitability, though. Sony has in the past, I don't think they did this with the PS4. They got really successful with that, but has sold hardware at a loss uh, to make up for software. Uh, they publish the software and they run it through their stores and stuff. So they have a really good revenue stream in that case, and they can afford to do so. Oculus, however, uh, is going is a hardware company, and so they need to make a profit off of hardware. However, that might be possible, and so they're probably playing the long long game here, and uh, and, uh, and with the backing of Facebook, that's definitely uh more accessible than it used to be so yeah my my take is that oculus is probably going to make the rift at, at either at either at cost or to, or at a loss uh, be and then they'll make up the rest on on software it, i th i think really that the person who's going to become the richest out of uh, vr are going to be the people who create the best software um, and not necessarily the hardware makers, but I, I might be wrong. I mean, it's just the fact that uh, Facebook, having acquired Oculus, it's they're not they're not a hardware company. So I figured like there's you know Facebook is going to gain something out of this, and it's going to be through the software that Oculus uh, gets out there. Um, well, uh, there's, I, I've had a number of thoughts on this, and as far as Facebook's interest in Oculus, it could be a number of things like um, they may be losing mindshare, and so now there's a new way for people to interact. Is their idea moving forward? Uh, a, an online social network for VR. Uh, another one is maybe Mark Zuckerberg just really likes VR in general. It's really hard to say. That being said, uh, they certainly have the resources to make sure that the business moving forward is sustainable and they can take larger risks and push things forward faster than they could before. And so right now I'm curious to see if any of the hardware vendors, Sony or Oculus or whoever, is going to be bumping up their timeline because despite their hardware, I mean, maybe they could have things ready real, real soon, maybe even for this Christmas, but they also need to make sure they have the software for it. So. Uh, it's good to have those things uh, go hand in hand, uh, but it's really difficult from my perspective to see where that's going. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to, and I guess, are you, do you get the sense that you're just going along for the ride as an indie, as an indie developer? I, it's, no, I wouldn't say that. And okay. so what I mean by that is that I know that tools are here, and so 
whatever they use the tools for is kind of outside of my interest. I, it's my understanding they're heading towards gaming simulation and various other things. And as long as I have what I need, I could care less um, what that's going to be as long as I have what, what I need as a developer to get going forward. So I expect that they're going to release. I expect their stuff to only get better because that's basically how this stuff works. And uh, I don't really give it much thought on what or how they do it as long as it's happening. Let's go back to developing. What is, in your opinion, the minimum requirement a human being needs to have and know in order to start developing for VR? Uh, let's start with the engines. We have two that I would recommend, Unreal Engine 4 and Unity. And Unity is what I use for fast prototyping. I can whip something up in Unity really, really fast. Uh, Unreal is also known for being very robust. I wouldn't trade their particle editor for anything. I mean... Uh, it's insane what I can pull off on that. As, uh, but from an indie point of view, you need Unity Pro before you can do uh, Oculus Rift development. And Unreal, you just need 10 bucks a month. So I think Unity needs to look at their business model just a little bit after how Unreal came in at GDC. Because uh, that's $1,500 to get Unity Pro. Versus 19 for Unreal Engine. So. Yeah, is it 19? Yeah. I, 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 it, it's and, really low, anyways. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and they don't require a whole year. You can do month to month, whatever. So I think that's that's brilliance of Unreal to really come in and try to uh, shake things up with the indie side. Now, as far as knowledge goes, you're going to have to know how to model 3D, uh, and you're going to have to know how to do it somewhat clean. You can't just make a mess of things. Uh, that being said, computers are pretty powerful. You can mock stuff up pretty fast and pretty rusty until you get things that you like. You're going to have to have a good sense of depth and lighting and scale. What tools do you recommend for modeling? Well, it's it's hard for me to say that because I'm using a purchased version of Maya, hmm. and that is not something that is usually uh, – it's expensive. I'll, I'll just put it at that. Hmm. They do have a, a cheaper – version of it but it lacks some of the niceties that i need as a uh, when i take gaming development seriously i see a lot of others use blender and various other things so i'm not really that experienced beyond autodesk uh, software 3d studio max and maya and i'm only using maya specifically because it's cross-platform with mac os and windows hmm. so i'm sorry please continue as i interrupted you yeah sure so you really got to have to understand what it is you're trying to create, what is your goal, and uh, what is it that you're wanting to convey to the other person with the head-mounted display on. So you, you create this world, you create this sense of space and, and scale, and you place these objects in various ways, and now you've got to figure out how you interact with them. And so to do that, you're going to have to understand component scripting and stuff like that with unity now unity has the asset store which is great you can get a bunch of props really fast for cheap or even in some cases free and just cobble something together and it's just knowing how other people are going to approach the same content that you create is probably the most key thing because you can create something and somebody will just turn around and look at the ugly stuff hmm. and uh you, you got to make sure to to expect everything, especially in VR, because the, the player controls the camera, not you. In terms of sound, where where do you fall on on that line? 
Uh, well, it, to me, the music and sound is half the game. It's half the immersion. It's half the experience. Mm-hmm. And and so in the case of Proton Pulse, I got as much talent as I could muster for that title. And then I scripted the walls, the blinking, the flashing, the scrolling, all of that stuff to be in perfect sync with the music. That was not something that was in the uh, public demo, but it's I was adamant about getting that right. And then you got to focus on the sense of scale and and, and uh, reverb and reflection off of the walls on that. You, you got to make what you hear almost as clean, if not just as clean as what you see. Because the second you get something that's off, uh, it throws you out of the experience. My most recent ex- uh, example of this is watching Godzilla because there were a couple times in that movie where Godzilla was really, really sneaky. You didn't hear this giant pounding thing as he approached her and yep. he was just suddenly there yep. and, and that threw me out i'm like since when was he a ninja yeah. <laughs> you know so uh it, it's one of those things sound is very important and uh sometimes i handle it the best i can i'm sitting right next to a uh small sound studio that i've set up um but as far as getting the the 3d sound the sound effects the depth and all that stuff usually uh i get it as close as i can but i think i'm gonna try to off outsource that to somebody who's a little more capable and experienced than i am do you feel like you're overextending yourself i I feel like you do so much uh do you get ever ever overwhelmed with the uh scope of your of your projects how do you handle that so in proton pulse i i handled a vast majority of that game and so it's really good as a lead developer to understand how things work uh too often in the gaming industry i've seen instances where create this it should only take a week and that's absolutely ridiculous or create this it should take a couple of months when it's just an hour's work it's the, the person has no idea on a technical side what's involved and what they're asking for and so um I've gotten to the point where Proton Pulse needed more help, needed more time, and I I used as much of that time as I could to fill out for the lack of support. Moving forward, I'm gathering a team that will really make this a lot easier, and so I'll be delegating it uh, various tasks uh, the best I can to very, very capable hands. That's a, that sounds exciting. Um, that sounds really exciting. When do you think people will be able? Uh, I think I asked this already. Shit. Uh, fuck it. Uh, when do you think people will be able to get their hands on this? Because I'm excited, man. I really want to like. I really liked Project Wormhole. Just so you know, like I I I loved it. I gotta admit, I really did. Um, so when can I get my dirty paws on this? I I would like to know the same answer. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, there there is one thing that I'm not necessarily. I, there's there's just it's hard for me to explain but I, i'm waiting for something to go through and before i can it's not anything that deals with one vendor or another it's just that unofficially proton pulse doesn't exist right now mm-hmm. or i mean officially it doesn't exist it was refunded and canceled and stuff i continue to make it for myself and really finished it up but that doesn't mean it's it's a public game i'm trying to fix that and if that's fixed, I'd love to announce both of them at the same time. Dang. That's, that's, looking, that's looking very, very possible very soon. 
if it you are about to you're about to crash uh, the internet with uh, that one two punch, that'd be amazing if you're able to. I, I'm crossing my fingers that you pull that off. Did you like Godzilla? Uh, if I wasn't so distracted, so there was a massive EMP pulse created by one of those things. Yet zip disks somehow, which is a magnetic media, some survive. Uh, maintaining all of their data. That happy birthday sign was pristine considering the rest of the city was absolutely rotten. Yep. And uh, the the sneaky monsters really got under my skin. Towards the end, he was using a stick to push away a, a very large boat just for dramatic effect. Yep. And when we're talking megatons, I don't care how quick that boat is or how quick that helicopter is. The amount of time you had was not sufficient. By the way, spoilers to anybody who's listening. I mean, Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Kinda... My apologies. That being said... If you can turn your brain off, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think if if we look at it under that that microscopic lens of of like, damn Hollywood, you slipping. I, I feel like yeah, Hollywood is is, is slipping with, with their movies. Oh. Like I feel like they're so much, they're so predictable. But I did enjoy the fact that it that that movie went sort of back to the classics, like how. Yeah. You know, it was, it, you know, when I was watching in the, the old school Godzilla movies, it was about monsters fucking each other up. Yep. Um, and, and I liked that. I enjoyed it. And I also enjoyed the fact that it was in San Francisco and, oh, shit, I know that place. Oh, Chinatown. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was there for GDC and uh, it was neat to see that. And uh, the week before seeing it, I was at Vegas, so it was neat to see that get blown up, too. Yeah. Uh, spoilers on that as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I gotta remember to say that before I start talking. Yeah, we should. Ha- yeah, I'll put that on the show notes because people are gonna get mad. God damn it! But <laughs> however, I mean, uh, working in the industry, I tend to dissect things a lot as far as how things are are put together, how they're presented. I, I really care about the design of every little piece of it. And ah. when I saw the first segment, the very first, say, ten minutes or so, I saw this attempted parallel at the intro of Jurassic Park. And uh, the ver- the old 80s feeling of the uh, Spielberg movies at the time. And for me, it didn't quite get pulled off the way uh, I think they intended it to. Yeah. However, uh, th- this is just be me-, me being nitpicky. I mean, how many people care about uh, a storage medium not uh, surviving an AMP pulse or anything like that? It- it's not something other people really care about. And so uh, I-, I just wonder if anybody who's there making the movie puts up a fit about any of this stuff, Mm because there's got to be people who are upset about Jar Jar Binks at the time, or uh, where were they vocalizing? Uh, Where are the people who kind of balance this stuff? But uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that I I dissect things a little too much for most movies. You know, the thing that got to me the most was figuring out why is Godzilla on our side? Why why is he fighting? You know, why is he why doesn't he turn around and be like, "Oh shit, humans, lunch." You know, like I, I that was the thing that I was confused with. Like like at the end there like he's the hero, the but but you know, 5 minutes ago you guys were shooting the sh- you and you you guys had like a whole fleet of ships shooting at him. Like no. I can answer this one actually because Please it was do. one of the parts I did uh, understand is that in the older Godzilla movies towards later on in the in in the various uh in in the Godzilla movies he became is he friend or foe they started to ask that question cuz is he saving humanity or is he out there to destroy it cuz he was fighting these monsters a lot and 
not necessarily for the sake of humanity, but inadvertently was there to help. And so they've always left this question in the end towards the uh, the old movies. Was he friend or, or was he just there to mess up monsters and, and inadvertently helped humanity? And so it was just kind of a throwback on that sense. Yeah, I just feel like if I were Godzilla, I'd, I'd be mad as hell at human beings because you guys were trying to nuke me in the 1950s. And now what? And then I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to go into San Francisco and you guys receive me this way. You know, fuck, fuck you guys. I'm going to let the monsters do whatever they want with San Francisco if I, if I were Godzilla. Now, let's try this into VR here. Yeah. So how would you make this a VR experience? Now, you could take this, uh, the stance of something very large destroying cities. And I, I, I did a demo with that once where there was this long pole with a wrecked ball stuck to your head and you just swung back and forth and destroyed things. But I think it would be much more interesting from the perspective of someone very small with yes. all of that stuff falling around you. Yes. Not necessarily you, – you don't have to shoot anything. You don't have to kill anything. You just have to stay out of the way. Yes. And so make the whole thing this brilliant cinematic experience. And uh, and the gameplay really itself is to survive, and that's it. I agree 100%. I think a, a successful VR Godzilla experience would be the one, a one in which you are a human being, and you are faced with this colossal colossus in front of you, and you have to, like, you know, people will have to look up with their VR headsets and be like, holy shit, that is insane and then you have to run away and and you only well, get one life it'd be yeah it'd be it'd be fun let's just like dissect how this is generally done with uh gaming development today if i were to say let's make a godzilla movie to a game studio they would either let you play as a monster and destroying stuff or even if they took you down at the human level mm -hmm. you would have to fight little monsters or you would have to fight other things or there would be some a uh, military group on the side kind of messing things up and so now you're against them and the monsters and you never know what's going on there's always this sense of you gotta shoot things or destroy things and i think the the real connection would be lost if that was something you're constantly pushing for it's uh there's a brilliant story in bioshock infinite but you're always having to shoot things you know it's it's um, when you boil down a third-person or first-person shooter, it's you put something in the circle and you press the button. And to me, that gets a bit repetitive. So I think there's much more to explore if we were to try to avoid uh, the destruction so much. It's not that I'm anti-violence or anything like that. I think there's just much more to be immersed in than just having to be the one badass soldier that can kill a lot of things. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I want to feel vulnerable. I want to feel like this is I'm I'm looking out an office on a really big skyscraper and there's just this giant thing coming towards us and this the stuff on my desk is shaking around and moving. It's one of those things where you could really pull this off in VR, and so the other stuff would just be a distraction at that point. Yeah, I fuck that'd be amazing if all of a sudden we we would have a. How about this? We have a collective VR Godzilla experience in which. Everyone joins in in the same game real time, and we're all citizens trying to mind our business, and all of a sudden we are, like, faced with trying to survive Godzilla and the monster madness, you know, rampaging through the city. Like, I, Well, you find somebody to fund that infrastructure. I'm all for it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that'd be, yeah, it'd be amazing. And I think you're onto something in the fact that the gaming industry and the, the way we – the way they make games yeah, – because I don't make shit uh, – is uh, – is going to change. I think it's going to be put on its head because 
now it's just as fun to be vulnerable and be human you know it's not it, you know i i sort of at this point in in my life i've been sort of getting superhero fatigued too many superhero movies too many superhero video, video games i i want to feel vulnerable i want to feel like you know like uh, like like something matters and so yeah i think vr could give us that thing that we're that we're seeking there and have you played spc containment breach no but i am now going to look it up well it's not really a, well i think they may have made an oculus port or something i don't know but the thing is you're in this in this facility it's kind of like this underground uh it, it looks terrible it sounds terrible however you really pay attention you, you feel vulnerable and you really pay attention to uh, one or two enemies and uh it, if you even just go to youtube and watch other people playing it you'll you'll get a real good sense of uh how this game is approached now i like movies and instances where you, you one thing really gets under your skin or a few things really get under your skin versus say uh world war z where it's a billion zombies and uh, yeah it's a billion zombies Ooh, you know <laughs> They can run. That's I don't find that nearly as scary. Uh, so, so I mean, if there was a World War Z game versus, say, Last of Us, where I really had to pay attention to what that clicker was doing, I'd go for Last of Us. Mm-hmm. What is uh? Wh- what are you scared of most? Then are you more scared of a zombie apocalypse, the the likes of World War Z, or are you more scared of a a, a Terminator singularity machine war? sort of scenario what, what out of those two which one would you rather be in to survive <laughs> actually uh yeah i uh, i'd be more scared of a political issue you know <laughs> yeah because <laughs> uh, i see more damage done that way you know so it's one of those things i'm not going to go into politics here because that can be uh, uh, very divisive but uh it's one of those things where not so much a monster or a machine, but it's belief in uh, beyond reason that scares me. Belief beyond reason. Please explain this. Oh, well, that's a whole nother topic. So <laughs> that, 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 would, that would be long and uh, potentially damaging to anybody who wants to uh, get to the fireworks factory, as Millhouse would say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm still confused. I don't know what you mean. I'm, I'm like, conf- give me, give me the in a nutshell. What does that mean? <laughs> well, let's see. If somebody was, uh, and I'm just going to use a, a blank example here. Somebody absolutely believed that one idea was the idea, and anybody else with a similar idea um, was discounted. Doesn't matter. It's, it's wrong regardless. And. And there's a lot of examples of this in, in religion, politics, uh, education, uh, uh, even when it comes down to sports teams. And I find it somewhat healthy when it comes to sports because uh, it's it's almost a uh, nat- national holiday when it's the NFL. I don't even follow football, but I yell at the screen one time a year just to be part of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, you get this this overwhelmingly human necessity to be above another group or person. It's it's this fundamental thing with humanity that uh, not necessarily everybody exhibits, but is a very strong driving force for a lot of the people who have more power than others, and that's 
yeah, it's one of those things where I'm really going off uh, off topic here, but it's one of those things that more so than a zombie or a Terminator, because I would find uh, a Terminator singularity thing, oh, I'm about to die, but that's really cool. <laughs> you know? I'm and about to be murdered by a robot. Yeah, that's the yeah, way to go. We finally got there. <laughs> been a long way coming and if it was zombies then it'd be um oh i just hope they're not the traditional zombies because though i find them so tediously boring right now you want you them know? to run after you like sprint like usain bolt yeah well even though yeah i, I don't want to be infected by spit or anything like that i want a new definition of zombie because it was like oh how do you kill a vampire can you tell me how do you kill a vampire by um, I'm trying to think of something sexual to do to it, but I'm sure you can just kill it with a silver bullet in the heart. Oh, uh, that's more of a werewolf, but yeah. The, oh, the, shit. The... <laughs> I got it wrong. But the point is, you can kill it however the fuck you want. They don't exist. You know? <laughs> yeah, that was so, probably the answer I should have gone with, yes. Yeah, no, you were very close on that. The, and and that's the thing with zombies is you shoot it to the in the head... Or you burn it up. There, there are there are better ways to approach these problems than than the uh, the the set boundaries. And going back to VR, this is why I find it so fascinating. Is that gaming itself, to some degree, has had these boundaries for a while, somewhat based on the rules of reality. And I think that's something we can break away from. You know, I I know you didn't want to uh, stay too much on the subject of the whole politics thing, but since you are in, on Enter VR and we do venture into the rabbit hole and, and into crazy land, I, I will add a, a, my two cents into that. Sure. And I think that you know when I when I ask that question, like what do you fear the most? I, I think the most scary things to me are are perhaps the things that we at least think about, or or maybe even the most mundane. I wouldn't say. Here, and here's what I'm talking about. I, For example, like, zombie apocalypse, I wouldn't say there would be a zombie apocalypse, but I think there would be a plague. Or, like, an, Ebo an Ebola fucking uh, outbreak, a worldwide outbreak, like, you know, a super virus. Like, that scares the shit out of me above anything else, you know, in terms of a zombie apocalypse. Because you can't see it. You can, And if it becomes airborne, then we're fucked. That, or even bacon-born, you know. Bacon-born. <laughs> Fuck. Now only the vegetarians live. <laughs> what a world! Uh, we, we, someone make a movie of Kevin Costner. Um, then <laughs> the the, uh, the but then the other thing about like you know how you talking about like the whole uh, the politics and the people who are uh, have the reins on this thing. Like I think that what scares me the most in that aspect is like us humanity. We've come so far. I mean, look at the things we've we've accomplished so far. We have fucking smartphones. We have computers in our pockets. We have an international space station floating, you know, flying around, uh, falling through space. Uh, and 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 yet, you know, one guy could fuck it all up. What you know, if 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 that if that one guy had enough power, you know what, what I'm saying? What I find absolutely intriguing though is usually the one guy that really <clears throat> creates and discovers a new thing. I mean, look at where we were 100 years ago. It is entirely possible for one person to live 100 years. Yeah. And we didn't have TV. We didn't have radio. We didn't. Have, we just got movies and flight airplanes. Now everybody can fly. Now it, it's crazy. We didn't have communication like we, we do now. And if you just look at that last 100 years, I would swear 
if if I, I just came into this world to see the history and wasn't involved in seeing the evolution of it, that some alien technology fell from the sky and we stole it and have been using it ever since because that last hundred years has been insane. Yeah. Compared to the rest of history. And imagine the next hundred years. I mean, the twenty. We are inhabiting the twenty first century. What are we gonna see? Like, dude, I can't even picture the last or the next five years. I mean. I have 12 3D printers in my garage. I never thought that possible, or even thought of it a few years ago. Holy shit! I never, th I didn't, I never thought I'd meet someone with 12 3D printers in their garage. That's crazy. What yeah. do you, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug my wife here for just a second. She Please. runs a business at home called Warp Zone Prints, and she makes custom cookie cutters and game themed clocks and various other things. And so, yeah, it, it, it's just technology really took off in a way that. She was creating something with one 3D printer, and she couldn't keep up, so it just got more and more and more. And and that industry just simply didn't exist all that long ago. When when uh, when my son was born, chances are the industry that he's going to be in isn't here yet. Video games had just come when I came around, so uh, but people designing them, so that job just didn't exist. So it's, it's one of those things that uh, I'm interested to see. Sometimes I think I was born too early, and sometimes I think I was born right at the right time. But I never thought I was born too late. I've never, I haven't thought. That's a curious thought. But in, that, in, it, in either case, kudos to your wife. Uh, and it's warpzone.net or .com. Warpzoneprints.com. Cool. I'll put that in the show notes later on. Um, yeah, that'd be. Yeah, that's really cool that your wife is uh, taking hold over her destiny by uh, putting out 3D printed uh products that's really cool i yeah i feel like that's where the the future of this sort of economy is headed right like where people are going to exchange uh goods and information through the internet via 3d printers and virtual reality I, I, what do you i mean do you anticipate that vr and 3d printing will go hand in hand in the future or is this my well, pipe dream 3D printing is really good for rapid prototyping. However, if you model something before you print it, you can actually find a lot of the mistakes in VR first. And it's one of those things that I'm trying to push for as a consultant for VR is that you can end up as a business saving a lot of time, energy, and money by rapidly prototyping something that's almost just as physical as the real thing. Find all the design issues up front, and then you can go on the next stage of uh, making physical uh, prototypes yeah how where do you envision yourself 10 years no let's do five five years from now where do you see yourself where would you like to ultimately see yourself exactly in this spot making more vr games nice i liked your answer that was awesome yeah and and you're you're i take it you're hopeful about the future and you're and you, you want the industry to succeed what is uh is there someone that you uh, in, that inspires you that influences you or is there a book or a movie what is, is anything out there oh let's see i saw the first tron movie when i was three months old maybe that had something to do with it and you remember it no of course not <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, it's just that mm, inspiration. My dad was an engineer, and he, he taught me to take risks on warranties, voiding warranties, essentially, uh, more so, and learning and understanding how things worked. And he also told me, magic doesn't happen. You got to make it happen. 
And so based off of that, my motto has always been good things come to those who wait, but great things come to those who pursue. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, I mean, I, I, I said, I'd love to see myself in this spot five years from now. That might be a little naive considering uh, how fast things are moving like we discussed before. Yeah. But I, uh, I certainly, um, as for an ins- inspiration, it's, it's really hard to say. I, I'm, I'm sitting in a room with almost every uh, game console from 1977 on up. And so it's kind of my sanctuary of game design uh, that I, it's, it's like, you know, a, somebody's library. I, I use this as a, as my reference material. What is the oldest game you own? Let's see. I, I'm looking at my Odyssey. It's still in box, but... uh. What's an Odyssey? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll let you look that one up, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's some really old stuff here. Like my first computer was a Commodore VIC-20 that predates the Commodore 64, and uh, I have this little turn knob on the top of the sucker that would cycle through ROMs, and that was from my dad uh, building that back in the day. Wow. So he was kind of a little bit, uh, he, he was an engineer at heart, a little curious on how things worked, and, and always applied it to something. Wow, But that's yeah, awesome. It's, it's just, yeah, my inspiration just comes from uh, the history of gaming and, 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 and seeing where I can take it, really. It's, 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 it's kind of a cop-out answer, I know, but it's hard for me to pinpoint anything. It worked for me, man, and I thoroughly enjoyed your answer, and I'm very jealous of your collection of video games. Well, what's, the, what's the, last game you've, the last game you enjoyed playing? Super Mario Brothers 3, because huh. I played that yesterday, and it was <laughs> awesome. Is it because of the nostalgia effect, or is it because it's still solid gameplay? What, what Actually, is... no, let me, let me take that back. It was Sonic the Hedgehog 3, and the reason why I say that is a friend of mine brought over Bubsy for the Sega Genesis, and it was abysmal. The design, the sound, the, the flow, the everything about it made me ill. And I collect a lot of bad games for this reason. I, I see why they're bad, and I, I take note of that. But I had to cleanse myself a bit, for, and my Sega Genesis for that matter. So I popped in Sonic 3, and the reason why that really caught my attention is there was so many technical details on uh, how they approached the level design, the music. But on the technical side, there was all this palette swapping going on. So when you're above water, below water... Uh, everything would change hue and, and and such, and it happens so seamlessly and, and quickly that you don't give it a second thought. But on the back end, that thing can only push 64 colors on the screen at any given time, and you never once think that it's lacking in that department. Hmm. You see other Sega games, and they look like garbage, but for some reason, the Sonic Team games on the Genesis just really pulled off some amazing technical feats that when you don't notice it, that's when you know that they're doing a great job. What's your take on the fact that, you know, these 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 IPs, Sonic, Mario have been around for as long as, as I've been around on planet Earth? Like, do you think do you think they're going to uh, these game companies are are going to keep milking the shit out of Mario for the next 25 years? Uh, Absolutely, and yeah. I have a recommendation for Nintendo on that one. Okay. <laughs> so, we've seen new Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers Sunshine, uh I liked th- uh, 3D, Super Mario 3D Land and such for the 3DS, but we see all these kind of offshoots. 
the ones everybody really truly remembers is Super Mario Brothers 1, 2, 3, and 4, which was also known as Mario World. If Nintendo really wants to pull Mario back from where he's at, put in the budget like you used to. Make it a huge focus. Don't make it a side project. Put in a, make it a real, call it Super Mario Brothers 5. That's what I'm getting at. Mm. Have the confidence that the game you're creating, the focus, the backing that you're giving it is everything you've got like it used to be. Same for Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, right now, if you saw Sonic 4 for uh, PS3, Xbox, whatever, you could tell they gave it as little love and as little uh, budget as humanly possible. Back when Sonic 1 through 3 came out in Sonic & Knuckles, that was Sega's focus. Mm -hmm. They put their best people behind that. And not anymore. And it shows. They're they're really milking it to death. I really liked... um, most of uh, Sonic Generations, where they were going with that, I think they were on the right track. Uh, but they really need a they they need to cut off the the small, quick turnaround money schemes because it's hurting their IPs. Why um, do they do that if they know that it hurts? Do they are they aware that they that these quick turnarounds are hurting their IPs? There there are two things on this. One. Uh, a lot of this stuff is driven by math, by money, by numbers. And so to invest very little and expect over a long or even short period of time more than what you invested is usually enough. And two, you sometimes get a, a designer who inherits an IP or inherits this world that wasn't created by this individual. So they have this this mindset where they can uh justifiably change elements and and they think they can do better i mean let's look at the cdi zelda games for instance there was an interview with one of those guys who genuinely thought that those were better than the zelda games before it Hmm. and that's absolutely not true to anybody with eyes but uh so sonic 4 had no physics on Sonic's character. You could run forward and jump. And the very second you let go of the D-pad, he would stop midair and fall straight down. Hmm. Somebody thought that was a good idea. You can't do this stuff by accident. And so uh, either they became aware of it and didn't have the technical know-how to fix it, even though the Genesis was able to pull it off years ago, or they thought this was a better solution. And... There's a lot of you'll hear from these designers. Oh, it's by design, and I I, I instantly call that out. Oh, you mean by poor design? Hmm. So I, I do not accept that answer ever. It's just one of those. It's just uh, an issue with me. But generally speaking, things are driven by numbers and by money, and then they give it to the uh, the lowest bidder. In which case, is usually the designers I was talking about. How does a company steer away from that model? Is that model eventual, eventually inevitable for the VR industry? I mean, right now, indie developers are small, they're agile, they're putting their 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 world, their labor of love into these games. But like, you know, two, three, five years on the line, are, are is that going to become start? Is is that the aspect of the game industry? Is that going to start permeating the VR industry? Do you think? Well, it's permeating the uh, cell phone gaming industry where we have a bunch of small microtransactional terrible games. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole generation of people playing these things who genuinely think these games are good. And it's terrifying to me. 
in a way. And so maybe that's even worse than zombies is the bad video games. Uh, but it's, it's entirely possible. VR is not currently at a state where it's as accessible or as casual as cell phones are. And so to that degree, it might be a little safer from uh, quick and dirty turnarounds like uh, Candy Crush. Uh, so, I mean, however, there will always be opportunists and, and people investing in other small groups to make really fast, really cheap uh, content and just flood the market to see if any of them stick. I mean, look at Flappy Bird. Mm-hmm. There's nothing absolutely amazing about that game. But it sets an example to people with money, and so they're hoping to be the next Flappy Bird. How many Minecraft clones do we have right now? It's 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 insane, and some of them are actually making a fair amount of money, and and this bothers me uh, to some degree. Uh, so I, I don't imagine VR is immune to that, but hopefully uh, we'll have some big hitters. I mean, if we look at the PlayStation Three, the, the closed platforms like PlayStation and Xbox and Nintendo and such. They tend to curate their their um, content a lot better, mm-hmm. and so while it's harder as an indie to get on platforms like that, as an end user, it tends to have a better experience overall. Why does microtransactional type casual games scare you? Because well, let's let's design a role playing game just just you and me right now. Mm-hmm. We're we're gonna make the most amazing cinematic game ever. It has brilliant story brilliant characters, music. It's the best thing anybody's seen. Now you want to save your game. Well, you can save your game now for 20 credits, which costs 40 real dollars, or you can wait until you have enough time points, which could be an hour or two from now. And it's just that kind of mindset. I mean, if, if mm-hmm. I, I played this need, not me, but a friend of mine played this Need for Speed game on I, uh, a tablet, and he starts the game and it gives him credits and it's like, oh yeah, I love Need for Speed. It's like, choose your car. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to choose a car. I have enough money for this one. He picks it. He's all excited. Your car will be delivered in five minutes. What or, the fuck? Or you could buy enough credits to get it now. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is not... Before he even got to play the game, they were trying to get his pockets. And so companies like EA are setting a real bad example and a bad flavor on what games are. This is not a game. I like a game that's complete. I don't want all these little microtransactions just to finish the game that's already been designed. I want a complete uh, complete experience. And so far, we've been pretty good uh, on that front for console games. I mean, it's not like they're uh, giving you pieces of a game from Last of Us. You get a whole experience when you get that game. But uh, yeah, I, I am not a fan of this uh this rapid profit just it's just taking advantage of what people uh, of people who don't really truly understand what games are here's the thing that i took for granted in the nintendo 64 playstation 1 uh gamecube playstation 2 console paradigm sure i took for granted the fact that these game developers were shipping games completely complete with easter eggs um, and, and that was it. That's all you got. Here rolls around PS3, Xbox 360, and now they have this phenomenon called the DLC. And now they, they figure out a, a, an extra way to make you pay more for this content. And 
to me at first when I like when I first started looking into DLC like when it first started popping up I was like what the fuck why don't they just ship the whole goddamn game you know uh, at 60 bucks or why do they have to keep making me uh, pay for especially when a lot of that content is on the disc with the game you know they just don't let you get to it that's the worst that's the shadiest shit ever <laughs> like when they and do that like... it's online it's probably already done too so I mean it's really hard to tell from my perspective or yeah. any end user perspective what's what I'm a huge Battlefield guy uh, like Battlefield Bad Company all those games and they did that shit with Bad, Bad Company too and I remember feeling a bit uh taken advantage of because dude i i'm supporting you already like i like your game and now you know uh, you have to hold you know hold me to pull my heartstrings and it's and it's the same thing that's happening with this mobile thing uh, where the microtransactions they they like i was playing a sonic game the other day with uh on on mobile and it was telling me like, uh, you know, uh, well, you, oh, you 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 you've died this far, um, you can restart all the way from the beginning. But for a certain amount of money, we can you can keep playing from where you died. And I'm like, you guys are shady. This is this feels. Is that a forward runner Sonic game? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that sucker didn't look half bad until they completely ruined it with that mentality. <sighs> yeah, it just yeah, it just feels like it takes so. It's just this. It doesn't feel fun when I have to think about like my wallet and you know having to play this game. Like, I don't know. I I I just feel like I took for granted that console paradigm back in the day where I got what I got and you know I paid for what I paid and that's it. Um, and what I found brilliant about that time is all the little bugs and all the little glitches gave the game some flavor. Yep. Today, you that stuff gets patched right away and you lose. Uh, part of the personality of that game, even if it wasn't intended. And so I had a real appreciation for the Zelda 64 game that came out for the 3DS in its early days because they had intentionally kept some of those glitches in. Uh, they took out a few things that were in the original cart, like the singing in the Fire Temple and the Red Blood from Ganon, so that bugged me a bit. But however, that experience was pretty decent overall. Whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. There was Red Blood from Ganon in the game? Yeah, in the uh, original release of Zelda 64 on the gold cart and on some of the gray carts, the first 500,000 copies, I believe, uh, Ganon, at the very end, spat out red blood. Whoa. And there was this uh, chanting voice uh, music in the Fire Temple. You should you should look that up. It's completely removed in future iterations of the cart. They, they, they've changed it. Why did they remove it? Well, there was um, some concern about uh, being insensitive to people who are uh, a little concerned about Muslim activities as far as the chanting went. What? The same thing happened to Little Big Planet, too, which was very interesting. What? And uh, as far as the blood went, it's Nintendo. You know, that's, yeah. that's something they they do. I mean, Little Big Planet was Goldmaster in discs and shipped. And then they were all recalled before release because there was a song written by a Muslim in there. And he, I mean, uh, that is to me very, that, that's going back to where there's an idea that is dictating, you know, reality, somebody's ideas or a fear of something or a need to have one thing better than another just really boggles my mind because the song in itself was not offensive whatsoever. Hmm. It, there was nothing wrong with it, both the N64 game and, and Little Big Planet. And so, yeah, it's 
But the the bugs in these games gave it some real flavor, and today you you, you don't get that anymore. I mean, I keep an old version of Plants vs. Zombies on my iPhone. I never update it despite that little annoying icon because I still have uh, Michael Jackson, the zombie mic in there. Hmm. And uh, they took that out after his after his passing. Oh, wow, that's crazy. That yeah, I uh, man, it's yeah, it's amazing how much we've taken for granted from that whole uh, console generation. But I mean, what? And so sticking to that point, like, were, are you aware of a lot of censorship censorship going on in the games industry? And and let me take it a little further. Do you think what do you think censorship will look like in the age of the metaverse? Well, the interesting thing about the metaverse, let's take Second Life, for example, and for gaming censorship in common, there's a huge conflict here. Uh, there's this very human basic need for, let's just say, sex, all right? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just put that word out there. And when in Second Life, this is a very huge money maker is selling things along that genre. Now, the gaming industry here in the United States especially, is absolutely afraid of sex. Uh, They avoid it like nobody's business, and you can rip somebody to shreds and pull them in half and knock off their head, whatever. But the very second you see something sticking into something else that's, uh, uh, yeah, you get where I'm going. Yeah, or don't let me see a nipple. It's pulled off the shelves, and people come with pitchforks and flame torches and such. And it's one of those things that kind of boggles my mind to some degree that, cause I'm pretty sure that at some point in time for you, for me, for all of humanity to currently be here, there was some level of reproduction involved. So, uh, I, I don't, I, I've never thankfully been involved in seeing anybody actually pass away from murder or anything along those lines, but that's so prevalent in gaming yet there's such a fear uh, of physical stuff like that. And Second Life has a lot of that permeated into it, while VR, Metaverse, it would be naive to think that that wouldn't be something that would be um, attempted at the very least. And it makes some people uncomfortable. Uh, There's this whole... uh, I'm not sure how relevant it is anymore. I'm sure it's still to some degree where, oh my God, there's a girl playing a video game, you know? Uh, and so everybody would flock to that individual. It's uh, it's one of those things where being anonymous and um, puts you in a situation where you can be a little more troll-like, I'm going to call it. And mm-hmm. you see a lot of that. And so it's it's trying to find that balance with um, basic humanity and, and, and jerks overall in a situation where everybody is welcome and has a good time because generally speaking, large crowds like that online where you have no repercussions for your actions uh, are, are hard to curate. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely something really interesting you pointed out, like how the fact that I can look at someone's uh, intestines being pulled out as they are being torn in half but don't let me catch you uh, showing off a nipple because you know, you know fuck sex i don't that's uh that's extremely interesting to think about the whole uh, taboo sex in in video games and how it'll translate eventually into vr huh yeah i i, I don't know it's going to be it's going to be an interesting uh conversation uh, that'll play itself out eventually
do, do you think it's going to, in terms of, you know, you're talking about trolls and, and uh, anonymity, do you think privacy uh, is going to go away in our, in, in our century, in our society? Like, Well, it's been somewhat dissolving online anyway, but mm -hmm. it's always been my stance that anything you put online is not private regardless of what you think. Yeah. And so that policy has always been pretty good. Now, let's let's. I'm just going to take a guess here. This is not inside information or anything like that. But PlayStation has a social metaverse sort of thing going on with the PS3 called uh, PlayStation Home, mm -hmm. and Facebook in itself is kind of a metaverse, just no avatars or anything like that. And in both of those cases, you have to be a real person. And so on the on the PlayStation 4. You still use your sign-in ID, but it also associates your real name with your billing information and whatever. And Facebook is what it is what it is. And so, if you were to say be a dick online in either one of those uh, services in VR, then the repercussions are you would be banned or you would no longer have access to those services. And so, uh, there's much more weight when it's an online network. That is also tied to a billing structure. Uh, in Reddit, anybody can change their name and just post whatever. But the very second it's tied to a credit card, people think twice. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's super interesting. Yeah, and it's going to be fascinating to see itself play out. Uh, what's what's going to happen? I mean, are are you uh, of the opinion that we need this sort of system in place where everyone is them themselves can can enter the metaverse as themselves or or is there value in having some anonymity well the point of video games is to be something above beyond or completely different than yourself mm. and so there is there is a point where you can go too far on representing uh, or kind of pointing out who this person is to an extreme effect. Um, I believe that when you you have a situation where there's some value in having an account and that losing that account for whatever reason, that's when you start second-guessing your actions. Mm -hmm. So say you got banned from Xbox Live Gold and all the content and all of your trophies are gone, or I'm sorry, achievements, um, that makes people guess second guess in a situation like that however then you have to go on the flip side of things who gets to decide what's um good uh okay and what's not okay yeah because other people some people online uh, are more sensitive some will just even lie and fake that this person was harassing and uh there's it's almost impossible to oversee masses of that size so it's uh It's one of those things where having a person rated based on experiences uh, from other users could hit a certain mathematical point where they're, they have to be observed. I don't know. I don't have a solution for that. That's out of my field. But uh, I think it's important to have some weight behind every avatar in an online metaverse just to prevent um, crazy behavior. Perhaps seeing a reputation as a currency? Uh, or or honesty as a as a form of currency or social validation. Again, I'm throwing shit out of my ass, but like I, I figured. Well, if the account is completely self-contained, um, then the currency itself can be um, false because you can make a lot of accounts to say one person is really awesome. Uh, 
we see this kind of thing on various other voting sites as well. So there has to be a real tie to that person for this to, to truly work. I mean, World of Warcraft, you certainly want to, wouldn't want to be kicked off. You would lose uh, a lot of time and money or whatever. I'm not sure how many people still play that, but that was the only example I had. Yeah, I guess the only solution is for us to all get RFID chips um, and to make sure... Oh, you don't have yours yet? Oh, shit. Uh, uh, yeah, of course I do. Um, yeah, just don't, don't tell the NSA... Justin Morvitz, it's been a fucking pleasure having you on the show. You've been a true scholar and gentleman, and I'm really grateful that you've taken the time to uh, talk about your, your project, game design, the games industry. You, uh, thanks for bashing Godzilla uh, together. Um, that was that was a lot of fun, man. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, how can people stay in touch? How can people support you and your projects? Um, all that good stuff. Oh, let's see. Uh, if they want to stay in touch... You can uh, email me at justin at zerotransform.com. Uh, I have an email, I think, somewhere posted at protonpulse.com as well. Uh, just find any one of those, and uh, I'm very accessible. That being said, spam me like crazy. It's not that I'm trying to ignore you. It's just that uh, there's a lot of stuff coming in and out. So I, I give anybody who's listening, listening to this podcast absolute permission to uh, flood my inbox just to say hello. I, there's nothing wrong with that. I will not get upset challenge accepted uh all right man it's been a, a pleasure once again thanks so much for your time yeah no problem